Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Long Game with Elsie and Leach. Welcome to the long game with LZ and Leach for the Recount and ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm not a racist. I am LZ Granderson, though. He's not a racist, and he's Will Leach. He is not a racist either, but it is Super Bowl week, and I'm very, very excited. We have so much stuff to discuss. We'll begin with everyone's favorite massive national sporting event, the Super Bowl. We will begin Sunday's big game debate with which quarterback has the most compelling narrative, the Bengals' Joe Burrow or the Rams' Matthew Stafford. And oh, by the way, if Cincinnati wins, I will claim our first ever fantasy playoff draft victory. So LZ could be in for a rough Sunday night (laughs) if that happens. After that, we're going to continue the football conversation and talk more about the franchise that's hosting the event, my Los Angeles Rams. The Rams moved back to L.A. in 2016 after spending 21 years in St. Louis. And during that time, L.A. was considered unable to support an NFL team, largely because the attendance dwindled in the early 1990s when the Rams owners started threatening to leave. Yeah, I can see why that would be a problem. But even though the Rams are playing at home in the Super Bowl in a $5 billion state-of-the-art stadium, the franchise admits it's going to take some time to develop a loyal fan base. So, Will, with the team and the league making such a huge investment in this city, I think it's time to assess if L.A. is really an NFL town now. Well, I certainly know that St. Louis was an NFL town until the Rams owners started threatening to leave the area. We will also discuss the latest developments in former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. And we'll also look ahead to Commissioner Raj Goodell's State of the League speech and press conference on Wednesday. Goodell released a statement over the weekend saying the NFL needs to reevaluate its diversity policies, which, Mm -hmm. to no one's surprise, Flores' lawyers, along with other humans, found rather suspect. So Wednesday should be fun. Yes, Elsie? I personally am showing it with a daishiki. I am not. Then we'll wrap up the show with a great This Week in Sports History segment, this time featuring Aaron, my big toe, Rogers. And if that's not enough, we'll also answer questions from you, our loyal audience. My big toe is my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance. And just a quick note, we will be live on Twitch twice on Wednesday from Los Angeles at 12.30 Eastern Time and 5.15 p.m. Eastern Time with some great NFL stuff. We'll give you the details at the end of this podcast, but block out some time for us on Wednesday. It'll be worth it for you. It'll also be on the podcast. We're getting an extra podcast this week. It's the Super Bowl. We don't do a half-ass job over here on Super Bowl week. We do a three-quarter-ass job. All right, LZ, let's get right to it with our first big story. The game that I have not heard anybody talking about at all. I don't even know when it's on. Sunday Super Bowl. Open. Taylor. This game is tied. 11 points in 2 minutes and 40 seconds. And Cincinnati storms back. Wow. Joe Burrow. No way. Only two quarterbacks have won an FBS national title game and a Super Bowl. And that's Joe Namath and Joe Montana, and Joe Burrow's trying to be the third. That's something I'm really proud of, being from Ohio, being a quarterback of the Bengals, two and a half hours from my hometown. This is something I've always wanted, playing the Super Bowl, and I couldn't be with a better group of guys. Congratulations, Joe. You're heading to Los Angeles. Stafford, deep downfield. He's got cup again. And the Rams, by the hair of their skinny teeth deep. Wind up winning it. They're down and one. Stafford, end zone cup. Got it. Touchdown Rams. And the Rams are going to Super Bowl 56. 
You just heard some of the playoff heroics of Cincinnati's Joe Burrow and the Rams. Matthew Stafford, the two fine quarterbacks, will be facing off against each other in the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Currently, LZ, your Rams are four and one half point favorites over the underdog Bengals. And you and I both expect a close game, largely because of the skill of those two quarterbacks, who, of course, both have great individual stories. The 34-year-old Stafford has always been considered one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league, but he spent over a decade playing for mostly bad Detroit Lions teams, as you well know, and never won a playoff game until he was traded to Los Angeles before this season. Burrow, on the other hand, was a backup at Ohio State, thanks Urban Meyer. But after he transferred to LSU, went on to win the Heisman Trophy, the College Football National Championship, and now, in only his second year in the NFL, quite possibly the Super Bowl as well. He can become the first quarterback to achieve all three of these milestones, and he just turned 25, which is much less than you and I. So let's start here, LZ. Who has the most compelling narrative? Your guy, Matthew Stafford, the talented vet who never played in big games until this season, or young Joe Burrow, who's achieved so much and is only in his second year in the NFL? I know this is going to sound biased because everyone knows I'm a Rams fan. Mm-hmm. But not only that. Wait, get that idea. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Because I'm also a Lions fan. Oh, that was the team. The Lions, yes. There is a very, I, I would argue, quite virile and handsome lion bobblehead that you just tried out. Yeah, hold on. Make sure he stays in the shot there. He All looks right, great. He looks great. <laughs> so I had the privilege of seeing Matt Stafford live as a Detroit Lion for years. And... Obviously, watched tons of games of him over the course of the last decade or so as he was desperately trying to make the Detroit Lions something other than a laughing stock of the league. When I say he's the better story, it's not coming explicitly from a place of fandom, though I don't think it's possible for any of us to really separate our fandom for an athlete or a team with any sort of proper objective analysis. I'm not, I don't, I don't trust anyone that tries, to be honest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Kirk Herbstreet, own it. Yeah, You went to Ohio State. Don't try and tell me that you, your criticisms of Michigan is completely with blinders on. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Yes. <laughs> but I will say this. We know one of the greatest running backs of all time was Barry Sanders. And Barry Sanders played in one playoff game that came out victorious. We know that Calvin Johnson, one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of this game. I don't know if you've ever met him, Will. He's an absolute stud. I still don't think he has any body fat on him. He's just like, just a beast. They had nothing in terms of true NFL team success. All their success was based upon individual performances and accolades. And while that is fulfilling in a lot of ways, I mean, they're both Hall of Famers. They both made a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have that team success. And the reason why... It's because they play with the Lions. Right. right. (laughs) That's a more virile growl than I think the Lions have generally given over the last 20 years. And I bring that all up because there were a lot of people, a lot of really smart football minds, as a matter of fact, who thought the Rams gave up too much to get Matthew Stafford, who thought that Matthew Stafford was just a guy who padded stats, who thought he was simply just a average quarterback putting up astronomical numbers on awful teams. And I never bought into it, not because I'm a fan, but because I watched him. I watched him up close and personal. And I think that puts me in a, in a unique space because there aren't a lot of people, certainly not on the national level, that spends a great deal of time watching Detroit Lions football games. <laughs> <laughs> I knew how talented he was. I understood where some of the mistakes were coming from, understood why he threw some of the passes that he did in the moments that he did. And more importantly, I understood that he wasn't just a stat guy, that he was really one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And if he had only a functional, competent organization to play for, <laughs> right, people will see that. And I don't know if there's a greater indictment in the history of this league than having a quarterback that's been widely considered to be a a loser, if you will, immediately leaves that team and is in the fucking Super Bowl the next year. (laughs) And he didn't parachute in on a team that had just had a deep run into the postseason. It was an eh kind of season for us, considering the talent that was on the roster. Matthew Stafford came in and immediately forged a relationship with Cooper Cup. But more importantly, he infused belief 
in a franchise that knew that Jared Goff couldn't carry them to the promised land, but wasn't sure if Matthew Stafford could either. And he convinced everyone on that team that he's the guy. And he was able to do that with a losing record. He was able to do that having never won a playoff game. He was able to do that by being a huge stat guy who would show up on your television screen on Thanksgiving and lose by 30. (laughs) (laughs) Year in and year out. Matt Stafford's ability to instill faith and belief with nothing other than talent to show for it because he didn't have a resume like Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady showed up at Tampa Bay with a resume. And when Tom Brady says, this is what we're going to do, it was like going, okay, why? Because he's proven it. Matt Stafford hadn't even proved it. (laughs) Oh, for three lifetime and playoff games. So he had to convince the team he was the guy. (laughs) He had to convince all the critics he was the guy. And every single time when he was faced with a significant challenge, as he was just a couple weeks ago, being down by double digits against a team that's beaten the franchise six consecutive times, he marched that team down there, got them within scoring range, and proved that he was capable of winning these crucial games, despite the fact he had never done it before. (laughs) Joe Burrow is an extremely talented quarterback who people expect great things out of. Matt Stafford is a talented quarterback that no one expected to do this. And he did it. And when they start talking about incredible underdog stories, they're not going to say Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is no longer an incredible underdog story. Hmm. They will say Matt Stafford. (laughs) And why? Because unlike Joe Burrow, who has the benefit of doubt because it's only his second year, Matt Stafford had over a decade on tape. And people made decisions based on that decade on tape. And within one season, he basically burned that entire catalog. And now Matt Stafford is one more win away from going from the loser to the impossible winner. I don't know what's a better story than that. I know you think Joe Burrow is. Congratulations on getting this far in our draft. Yes, Um, yes. But if you really believed in Joe Burrow, for real, for real, you would have picked that team earlier. I believe in Matt Stafford right away. The Rams were the first team that I picked in our draft. Yeah, uh, and this is fair. And I picked the Packers first, don't remind me. But (laughs) let me make the case for Burrow as the better story anyway. I agree the Rams are favored this game. I think they should be favored this game. And I think four and a half is probably a little low. I actually kind of expect it to go a little higher than that. If it sneaks up above five, and I think it might, I think that's the biggest Super Bowl underdog since the Saints-Colts game, which, by the way, the Saints won. (laughs) So the underdog came back and won that. But I think it's very reasonable and very understandable that the Rams would be the favorite in this. But I would argue not necessarily because of Stafford, Stafford has been good, and he has definitely cleared the better than Jared Goff bar <laughs> by a substantial amount. But I would say this about Burrow. For all the talk of Detroit, Bengals have been right there with him as this moribund franchise for the last 25, 30 years. I think the Lions have probably been a little worse, but I think the Bengals have certainly— No, no, no. We're definitely worse. They're both at the bottom five down there together. Yes. I don't think there's any yes. question about that. One of the reasons the Rams are really favored is Burrow's offensive line is a major, major problem. Stafford clearly is a good quarterback, but he has a great supporting cast around him. Burrow doesn't. He has a good supporting cast around him. He certainly has Chase. He has some wide receivers. There's guys there. But the offensive line is a mess, and Burrow has been working around that. That's not stopped the Bengals from being one of the hottest teams down the stretch. That was the reason I picked them, because they had been on kind of this role. Burrow is at the center of all of it. Listen, one thing that I think the NFL is going to have to deal with in the next couple of years, now that Brady has retired, it's funny. Remember all that stretch for the first decade or so after Jordan when every single new player was, oh, here comes the new Jordan. Remember Harold Miner? That was a fun one. Of course, uh, baby Jordan. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's part of what we're going to have over the NFL over the next couple of years. I have to say the closest analogous I would say right now is if Burrow can pull this off, you've got a guy who has a similar underdog story coming out of college. Certainly he was a higher draft pick by far than Brady was. But again, he was on the bench between Dwayne Haskins like four and a half years ago. Brady was in his 40s when he was a backup in college. The thing people forget about Brady early in his career, again, no one likes to admit this, but everyone was rooting for Brady when they played the Rams 
in 2001. <laughs> like in 2002, excuse me. They were all rooting for him. The stuff that we find cute about Burrow, the crazy outfits, the cigar, the goofy stuff, that's stuff that is going to curdle quick if he wins the championship <laughs> and people will get annoyed by much like it did with Brady. But it feels like Burrow is the one that may be the best positioned to have that sort of out of nowhere sustained career for a long period of time. He can pull off the underdog upset at an unusually early age, which is what Brady did. Burrow becomes the official coronation of him and Mahomes over the next, and maybe Jackson for the next 10 years, become that fight for the next Brady. This is Burrow's chance to claim that now. And if he pulls this off with that offensive line against a Rams pass rush that may have forced Tom Brady into retirement, (laughs) like frankly, (laughs) if he pulls that off, I think that's an incredible achievement. And I think that probably the biggest story that could come out of the Super Bowl. I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea that you have with Joe Burrow being like this underdog when you're the number one overall draft pick. And this is just your second year. Agreed. Like the number one overall draft pick, which both guys were, by the way, Matt yes. Stafford was mm-hmm. when he came out of Georgia and obviously Joe Burrow today. It's just the difference is Matt Stafford has been in the league long enough, been over a decade, so people can start asking themselves, did the Lions make a mistake? Right. Whereas Joe Burrow is just in his second year and people are like, holy cow, we got so lucky that we have him. So the one guy who's being questioned about if you're a mistake to me is the underdog, not the guy where everybody's like going, oh, thank God you're here. (laughs) I agree with you that it's not Stafford's fault that the Lions were not good when he was there. But the Bengals were also really, really bad. This is the quickest that anyone's ever gone from the worst record in the NFL to the Super Bowl. I'd hope so. I hope it wouldn't happen in the same year. <laughs> and that's Burrow. Like, there's Burrow and Chase, who's the guy he played with in college and obviously had a connection with. That's something that Stafford was not able to do. In baseball, they call them post-hyped sleepers. Rookies, people get really excited about, but then they play for a while and they're not as great as you expect them to be, so you kind of forget about them for a while. And I feel yeah. like Stafford kind of had this a little bit. People didn't like necessarily appreciate what Stafford was doing and what he was able to pull off. But now, if Stafford the Rams win, it's Stafford being able to show that he was probably underappreciated and underrated for a long time. They still went 10 years and he never won a playoff game. Bra- uh, well, one of them was stolen from us with the no oh, catch yeah. I, is oh, a catch I, rule. I, I remember. Everybody versus Detroit and Detroit yeah. versus everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I am pro-Lions. If the Lions ever make the Super Bowl, I'm going to cheer like crazy for the Lions. But Stafford didn't get him there. Stafford didn't get him close. Burrow with a franchise that was probably a pretty similar place as the Lions were when they drafted Stafford. Burrow's gotten him there and has gotten him there in a way that he won't be underdog next year. Clearly, that time is right. over now. But the idea that he's gotten here so quickly and could pull off this triumvirate that no one's ever pulled off in the span of four years is really, really remarkable. And I would argue the biggest takeaway, and also the last thing on this, it's not just Burrow, it's the Bengals, right? There are 12 teams that have never won a Super Bowl. The Rams have won a Super Bowl in St. Louis. The Los Angeles Rams have not. I'm sure Stan Kroenke will be gloriously touting the St. Louis Rams Super Bowl uh, all week. <laughs> but I would say that, generally speaking, I too to love it when franchises that have never won one. This is why I'll root for the Lions when they make it. When they get the chance to win their first Super Bowl, the Bengals, who have been this really lousy franchise for so long, in a way that a Lions fan can appreciate, for them breaking through and winning one, I think would be really impressive. I just feel that over and over again, because of the fact that you, Mina Kimes, <laughs> all the great football minds. <laughs> wow. I, I will take being in that sentence, by the way. <laughs> as well you should. As well you should, my friend. The simple fact that you guys keep prefacing everything with Stafford might make that one pass while ignoring <laughs> the fact that Joe Burrow has made that exact same one I pass I know. just tells you still, even in the Super Bowl, how much doubt they're still surrounding Matt Stafford. Agreed. No one says, Agreed. you know, Joe Burrow might be overwhelmed, but they're still saying, can Matt Stafford handle it? Yeah. And it's because of the tape. <laughs> Of a decade of futility, particularly in the postseason. And 10 years of Burrow doing what Stafford has done over the last 10 years, we'll totally be asking that question about Burrow. (laughs) But we're not because it's only a second year. I understand what you're saying, though. I would be happy for Stafford. As a Georgia guy, I would be happy for Stafford. Would you be happy for me? Because then that means I win our first ever fantasy playoff draft. That's not why I would be happy for you. That would be the only part (laughs) that would be sad about this for you. I will say, I was talking to Marshall, our producer, before the show. And because he's like, you're rooting for the Bengals, right? I'm like, oh, yes, I'm clearly rooting 
doing for the Bengals. <laughs> but it was funny. I was like, honestly, the only thing that would provide me any sort of pleasure or happiness if the Rams win would be just for you. I would be happy for you if the Rams won. But in every other way, I don't want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Will, let's move on to our next big topic, the great city of Los Angeles, and whether it can finally be considered an NFL town. Here it comes. Snap back to Garoppolo. Pocket crumbling. He spins out. He's hit. He's wrapped up. He flips it forward. It's tipped. It's intercepted. It's intercepted. It's intercepted. Aaron Donald got pressure on Garoppolo. And Traven Howard clinches the NFC Championship game. That was the sound of the Rams winning the NFC Championship game at their new home, SoFi Stadium. A shiny moment in a long journey that may not be over yet. Well, the Rams moved back to L.A. in 2016 after spending 21 years in St. Louis, your town. And mm-hmm. during those two decades, L.A. was considered unable to support an NFL team, largely because the attendance dwindled in the early 1990s when the Rams' owners started threatening to leave the area. But even though the Rams are still really good and they are playing at home in the Super Bowl in a $5 billion state-of-the-art stadium, team execs admit that it's going to take some time to develop a loyal fan base. The Rams struggled to attract more fans than some visiting teams they played against this season. So, Will, with the Rams and the league making such a huge investment in this city, I think it's fair to ask, is L.A. an NFL town now? Well, it's funny to think we went, what, 21 years without Los Angeles having a football team. I lived out there after I graduated from college for a year. There was no football Which neighborhood did you live in? I live in Santa Monica. And uh, oh. it was like a, it was, it, a little on, bougie, I, are we? Yeah, I was definitely a bougie 21 year old a week out of college. I moved where the company that hired me put me. When I lived out there, there was no team. And I have to tell you, as an NFL fan, it was wonderful, right? You got just the best game every week. <laughs> no matter what, you didn't have to be like, oh, right. right. Oh, man, the Raiders are playing the terrible Jaguars team. You just got the best game. And the game started at 10, and it was amazing. All the games were over in time to watch The Simpsons today. It was always great. I feel like so much of those 20 years, there's this ongoing discussion of when is the NFL going to get LA back? How can you have the NFL without Los Angeles? How can Los Angeles be a major sports zone without the NFL? And Los Angeles was fine. And the NFL was fine. <laughs> they were both totally fine. The NFL exploded in popularity during that time. And in many ways, Los Angeles became this place to do what Stan Kroenke eventually did. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. The local taxpayer is not going to give me what I want. There's Los Angeles right over there. And so when he pulled off that, I would argue, pretty egregious stunt of buying the property at the Hollywood Park area while he was the owner of the Rams and they were under a contract to stay there for a long time and being like, <laughs> what? No reason. I no. just really like that area of town. And of course, shortly after that, he starts lying to St. Louis and then eventually gets sued. And it ultimately costs the NFL a lot of money to get out of there. The point is like a lot of things involving franchise relocations and gross ways of extorting. You see this still in the NBA with Seattle, right? You see this in baseball with the Florida teams and Oakland. L.A. was always this golden place where they'd be able to go someday and a franchise could be made whole. What was funny is at first, if you were a skeptic of Kroenke or the Rams or the whole L.A. thing, you had a lot to work with. They were playing at the Coliseum and they were playing out in Carson. It didn't seem to be working. I went to a Rams game at the Coliseum and it was three quarters empty and it was only... Oh, you were in there, huh? Oh, yeah. I saw them right before they got good, right before the new yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah. It was cool to be in the Coliseum. I was kind of amazed they still showed O.J. highlights. But more to the point... It clearly was not working. The Rams were really bad. That was the Jeff Fisher time where everything was falling apart. And it really felt like, aha, you're getting your just desserts for what you did to St. Louis and all these terrible things you did. But nope, they won. I have not seen the same, but you've been there by all accounts. It is gorgeous. It's amazing. I can't wait to see it myself. They're getting their Super Bowl. The home team is playing in the Super Bowl. And to me, this largely the story of Los Angeles really for years and years and years. There's a lot of shady stuff that happens to try to get this freeway paved. Or we clear out this Chavez Ravine and a lot of people have lived there their entire lives to make this baseball stadium. But once we make it, you'll be happy with them. I do feel like you've seen it. I think it's going to take a while for the Rams and I think particularly the Chargers to build a loyal fan base out there. But now, large part of the NFL's business, the NFL media is now based right out there in Hollywood Park. Los Angeles is clearly becoming more and more of a focus of what the NFL is doing. It's now impossible to imagine the NFL and Los Angeles not working together. It's just a part of the future of the city and of the league. This is the start of that this week. And so it may have been ugly getting there, but it's always ugly getting there in Los Angeles. But ultimately, you get there and it all works out perfect for them. We were discussing this topic in our pre-production meetings, and I was really trying to wrap my head around 
what's really missing between having a team be successful and having a city loves its team to the point in which you can really go, okay, this team here runs this town. And I think the missing ingredient is just something you can't hurry, and that's time. You just need time. To your point, the Rams were gone for 21 years, which means somebody went out, had sex, had a child, (laughs) that child graduated from high school, Mm. went to college, graduated from college, went on with their lives without a football team in Los Angeles. That's a long time. That's a long time. (laughs) It's going to take more than five seasons to build culture when you look at how long that vacuum has been in existence. And oh, by the way, even when they weren't there necessarily, you still had the Raiders, which was part of the culture for other reasons besides just football reasons, Mm -hmm. right? Like NWA, Ice Cube, Mm -hmm. using Raider imagery as was a big part of selling the group in the 90s at a time in which there was no Rams. (laughs) (laughs) So you got... Cube and you got NWA in the 80s and 90s all sporting this incredibly good looking because let's face it, the Raiders uniform, oh. the Raiders color scheme and just yeah. the Raiders logo, it's all dope as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So you got this dope ass group with this dope ass brand all propping up football and the Rams are nowhere to be found. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot of time to build up a culture that can come close to the culture that's already been ingrained with just the Raiders. And then that child I was talking about, the one who was born and then went to high school and then college and there were no Rams, they picked a team. Yeah, right. right. And a lot of them picked the Niners. Yeah, yeah. reasonably so. That would be the time you would do it. Reasonably so, yeah. right? So you got to overcome that. And then there's the third part, which I don't think is talked about a lot, but I do believe plays a part in this. You got to have a folk hero. You got to have a, a personality or an athlete connected to a team that there's an affinity for. And usually, not always, but usually that's a young person that you've drafted or have dusted off after a season or two, right? It usually isn't a 37-year-old quarterback that you trade yeah. <laughs> for. It's not even Odell, right? Like Odell's a big personality, but he's not going to electrify them now. Right, right. right. He, Odell is going to be 30 later this right, year, right. right? Matt Stafford just, I think his birthday is today, as a matter of fact. He's like oh, 32, 33. Yeah. Aaron Donald could be that folk personality, except his personality is all embodied in his play on the field. Right. Off the field, he doesn't really have a high Q rating. And it's not because he's not a lovely person. He is. It's just it isn't his personality to find the cameras. And right, exactly. Ray Lewis. For better or worse, pops. I was going to (laughs) say, should I continue? How about Brian Erlacher? There we go. There we go. Oh, well, yeah. That's not the issue. And that's the Rams, the successful team that has a history with Los Angeles. To me, the Chargers have even a steeper hill to climb on this. And they actually have that young guy, right? Herbert could be Justin that Justin Herbert. Guy. Yeah, right. Herbert could be that guy. But I think the thing that adds with him too is that like, I mean, people in San Diego are furious. I mean, that's like not very far, right? The Rams at least made a certain amount of sense. They were once there. Right. There are still people that remember having their Eric Dickerson jerseys. There are people that remember the Rams. The Chargers are like the displaced kid at the school that doesn't really belong. And th- that's going to be a harder thing for them too. This is also the NFL, right? Listen, they make money from people in the stands. They like having a local community, but their real money comes from big corporate shit. Mm-hmm. big corporate shit, big money shit, big television shit. That's where all their stuff comes from. In a lot of ways, they can get away with these two teams not being as popular as, say, the 49ers because it's such a great real estate play for them. <laughs> There's so much money to be had there. The stadium is gorgeous. You now have people planning visits. Everyone's going to play Los Angeles at some point because there's two teams out here. It feels like it's almost worth it, even if it takes a long time for those two teams to build up that kind of fan base. Clearly, the Rams are better, but they're also closer. 
they're closer to this than the Chargers are. Even if that doesn't happen, and even if in 10 years there's 49ers fans still taking over that stadium, like, frankly, you see in Arizona when the Packers or Cowboys play there, they've been there a lot longer than the Rams have, and you still see that. I don't think the NFL will care that much. And frankly, I don't think Stan Kroenke will care for that much either because they've got so much money. And as a financial play and as a investment in the future of the league, I think it's clearly a successful one, a cynical one, but nevertheless a successful one. I feel that the NFL could help expedite the situation if they create drama by having them play each other every year. Yeah. Make it part of the culture of football in Los Angeles that every year, hell, make it Thanksgiving if you want. <laughs> Lord knows we could use some more entertainment. <laughs> but every year, have the Rams and the Chargers play each other and begin to build culture that way. I think that would really help speed things up because when LAFC, which is the MLS mm-hmm. soccer team mm-hmm. that's new, came into the fold, The Galaxy had already won championships. (laughs) There wasn't necessarily this need to have a soccer team in Los Angeles, but there was a need to build soccer culture in Los Angeles. And that's what LAFC's presence really brought to the area. Having a team that recognized that, okay, the Galaxy has a fan base, but everyone's not into soccer because if they were, the Galaxy as a team would be way more successful. So there still is a void there. Let's fill that void. And then whenever the Galaxy and LAFC face each other, it's been branded. Yeah. El Trafico. Yeah. Everyone knows <laughs> in the city. That means these two teams on opposite yeah. sides of the area, one's in Carson, one is in downtown L.A., they're going to face each other, and they're going to fight it out and duke it out. And fans can start to build an affinity. Pick which side you're on and and stay there, and let's build culture that way. I think the Rams and the Chargers have an opportunity. I'm pro that idea as long as it does not make us have a Jets-Giants game every year. I can't suffer through that. No, no. That just feels well, wrong. <laughs> well, I, I think that these two teams are competent. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, so I think that's <laughs> right. also part of it. People might be into it a little bit more. Well, it will be very curious to see how it all plays out. This is the LA Showcase Week. I can't wait to see that stadium. I am very, very excited to see what that place looks like. Okay, LZ, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about new developments in the Brian Flores lawsuit. And we'll preview the upcoming Roger Goodell State of the NFL address. So stick with us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, LZ, we're back. At the end of the day... um, we need change. We need change. Um, I, I know many very capable um, black coaches, um, some of my staff who I know um, if given an opportunity or when given an opportunity, are going to go and do a great job on their interview. Um, and I would just hate for that uh, to, be a, to be a waste. Uh, and I think, you know, we need to change the hearts and minds of, of the people making those decisions. That's why we're that's why, you know, we filed the lawsuit. That was Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins on ESPN just last week. As most of you probably know, particularly if you've been listening to this podcast, Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, sued the NFL and three of its teams, the Dolphins for pressuring him to lose games intentionally and to improperly recruit a player, and both the New York Giants and the Denver Broncos for holding sham head coaching interviews with Flores, who is Afro-Latino, just to satisfy a league mandate that requires teams to interview minorities for job openings. 
Although the NFL immediately denied the accusations, Goodell issued a memo to all clubs on Saturday saying, quote, racism and any form of discrimination is contrary to the NFL's values. We have made significant efforts to promote diversity and adopted numerous policies and programs which have produced positive change in many areas. It's sometimes hard to read corporate pablum. I'm sorry, it just really is. However, we must acknowledge that particularly with respect to head coaches, the results have been unacceptable. We will reevaluate and examine all policies, guidelines, and initiatives related to diversity, equity, and inclusions. End quote. Thank God. In response, Flores' attorneys said they suspect this is more of a public relations ploy than real commitment to change. LZ, I know you have more to say about the lawsuit since we last talked, so I want to get your take on it and the upcoming Goodell press conference on Wednesday, which, for what it's worth, we will be talking about live on Twitch right after it is over. This should be a pretty fascinating week. Well, I don't know if you noticed this or not, Will, Mm -hmm. but Operation Clean This Shit Up is in full effect right now. It definitely is. It definitely is. (laughs) The Houston Texans can't interview enough black people now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lovey Smith. (laughs) Lovey Smith. And and I love Lovey. He was my Illini coach. It didn't work out for him in Illinois, but he represented our program with integrity and class. And I love the beard. The beard is amazing. That's been a wonderful addition to the Lovey Smith Ensemble. But definitely, I don't think anybody two weeks ago was like, oh, it's probably time for Lovey Smith to get out of the job. No question about it. Of course not. I was texting my buddies throughout the course of the postseason when the energy started to slowly build. And this is obviously before Brian Flores' class action lawsuit. You noticed, or at least I did, a lot more cameras being focused in on the black assistant coaches and a lot of talk about how great they were and how they would make a great head coach someday. (laughs) I was partly laughing and partly saying, fuck you. Because it was so obvious what they were trying to do in the light of the criticism of only having one black head coach in the NFL. Now, all of a sudden, they wanted to act as if they were Christopher to Columbus and they were discovering black assistant head coaches all of a sudden, like they hadn't always been there. And it was kind of embarrassing, to be quite honest with you, to listen to them go, oh, yeah, so-and-so, so-and-so will be a great head coach and this person will be a great head coach. And I was just like, stop it. It's so obvious. And that's where we are right now with all of these coaches now being interviewed, right? To your point, Lovey Smith. Nobody says shit about Lovey Smith all year. All year long. (laughs) Again, it was surprising to me having watched him coach Illinois football as an alum of the university. I was proud to have him as our coach. I was also happy when they got somebody else. (laughs) He is the sort of guy that you can be like, we're interviewing Lovey Smith. So just so you know, we are very serious about this. Very, very. Listen, Lovey was successful in the NFL. You don't guide a team to the Super Bowl mm, of course if you're not a, a good, competent coach. I don't know what happened in Illinois. I just know you guys are never good. So I'm just assuming that was just part he of the He didn't want to be a coach. The pros are the better place for him. Lovey Smith is not going to go out and be like, oh, I'm going to go talk to the family of 15-year-olds in suburban Sheboygan. He's not going to do that <laughs> shit. And so he didn't. So I think the pros are a better place for him to go. Better but place. certainly there was no discussion literally until like four days ago about right. Lovey Smith possibly being a head coach. And and that is all part of Operation Let's Clean This Shit Up, right? Yeah. Remember the initial statement in reaction to the Brian Flores class action lawsuit, which was is without merit. Yeah. And then once they ran that through the Q rating and goes, oh, that didn't test well, yeah. they came out with a different statement. They're doing everything they can so that when Roger Goodell stands in front of that camera and stands in front of a room that was going to feature a lot of curious black voices, shall we say. <laughs> yes. Roger Goodell needs to be able to say something of substance. Now, Miami just hired a black head coach. Would they have hired that coach had there not been a lawsuit? What do you think, Will? Because I certainly have my opinion. This is one of the things that's so frustrating about the Flores thing in the first place. He was good. Right. One of the things I've thought has been really powerful about what Flores has done, there's an emotional plea. You immediately understand not only where he's coming from, but what it feels like. Right. What it feels like to go to a, with a drunk John Elway, a hungover John Elway, pretending that he gives a shit about the interview that he's doing right now. There's something kinetic and, and emotional about hearing the way that he talks about it and how it makes anyone feel as a person to be put in that position. That is what I hope sticks. And as we talked about on the show last week, you need more people to build. <laughs> you need right. more people to build because you right do. now that vacuum is being replaced by, hey, Miami got a black coach. Hey, Lovey Smith is over Lovey here. Lovey Smith. That was the main thing we talked about on the midweek show was, okay, 
keep the momentum going. That's what we liked about Hugh Jackson, right? When he kind of built the story and got it forward, there has been a vacuum. The thing exactly you said, we need not just other black coaches, but you talked about Josh McCown or Cade McCown, whichever one of the McCowns was <laughs> it's, up for the it's, it's Josh. I don't think Cade cares. I don't care. <laughs> whichever McCown it was, a time for someone to say something and nobody has. So it's been replaced by... Lovey Smith is getting an interview, and right. that's, hey, tell Schefter that the Texans are looking into are, t- are looking into are looking into Lovey, and that's exactly what happened. And like, listen, maybe the Texans are going to hire Lovey, you know, but, and if they do, that would be fantastic. Yeah, right? like that was against like, that idea, like, right, be, right? Not because it fulfills some imaginary quota, because right. I don't ever recall hearing a number that needs to be present in order to justify <laughs> right, right. the racial dynamics of the NFL. I've never heard of a number, but because. You are a mess of a franchise, and you just hired a coach who has led a team to the Super Bowl. That's a smart hire. <laughs> Certainly a smarter hire than Josh McCown. But that speaks to the franchise in general, right? Like the McCown thing was hard to understand or justify anyway. Again, 48 hours ago, nobody talked about Lovey Smith for a job. Right. It feels weird. It, it, feels, it, it feels very, very weird. It's, it's not weird. It's cynical, Yeah. yeah. to be quite honest with you. It is a cynical response to a legitimate issue and problem. And while I don't want to take anything away from any black man that gets an opportunity to become a head coach in NFL, we all know that without this pressure being brought on by both the media that covers the league as well as this class action lawsuit, we all know that no one will be talking about Levy Smith as a head coach candidate right now. We all know that the emphasis being placed on what exactly should be the qualifications would not be in the forefront right now. You know, I made the point, you know, multiple times last week that Brian Flores had more winning seasons than the first four white head coaches that were hired in this cycle combined. Four head coaches were hired before we heard of this lawsuit. And you add all other seasons together, granted three of them are new, I'm not going to yeah. front like that's not part of it, but all four of them combined, the fourth being Josh McDaniel, who had time with the Denver yeah. Broncos, all four of them combined don't have as many winning seasons as Brian Flores, who was only a coach for three seasons. <laughs> Two of which were winners. <laughs> so this is the heart of the conversation here. Yeah. This is the real issue. It's not whether or not the NFL can find enough acceptable names to throw out there in order to get the heat off of them is the fact that they aren't doing this in earnest to begin with. They're only doing this in response to the criticism, it's a very, which means yeah. as soon as we turn our attention elsewhere, of course. they're going to go back to doing what they've always done. You have to change the culture, which means you have to change hearts and minds. And this is not the way that we do it. It is a very Goodell and NFL thing to do to treat this as a public relations problem. Yes. This is the way they deal with everything, whether it's concussions, whether it's domestic violence issues, all the major issues they deal with, they always treat them as something to get through. Right. And when people talk about Goodell being an empty suit, that's what they mean. He's obviously a mouthpiece for the owners. I think most commissioners are. Forget morality or overarching ethos or what is right or just for the league. It is literally... Just get to the money. Don't fuck up the money. Yeah, get to the money. Get to just, the money. Just, just, just get to the money. Don't mess up the money. Say what you need to say. Just don't mess up the money. Yeah. Think about the kneeling. The image of Jerry Jones kneeling with the players. <laughs> and if you would have sat there and said, Jerry, <laughs> what do you think is the biggest problem yeah. What's with your stopping right systemic racism in the country? <laughs> right. What do you think he would have said? I don't even want to speculate. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not as if they learned anything right, right. during the controversy in terms of the protesting during the national anthem. It wasn't as if there was this curiosity that kind of rippled through the land. Right. And now there's this much clearer understanding of society's problems as it comes to the racial disparity. Because if that had happened, we would not be having this Brian Flores class action lawsuit. <laughs> And that's the part of this that the NFL just doesn't get or doesn't care to get is that if you actually addressed the racial disparity in earnest back in 1989, mm-hmm. after you hired Art Shell as the first African-American head coach in the modern NFL, if you really were serious about making systemic changes and creating pathways of fair opportunities for everyone, 
you wouldn't have needed a Rooney rule. And if you were really serious after the Rooney rule, you wouldn't have to add more uh, addendums to the Rooney rule later on. Yeah. And, and it's all PR. <laughs> this is how they handle everything. <laughs> Everything's fine. Don't fuck up the money. Don't fuck up the money. Don't fuck up the money. Listen, it's become fun to mock the people over the last few years that have been like, is the NFL in trouble? They're like, the NFL is obviously not in trouble. They're making a lot of money. People are all watching the games. However, if someone were to make the case that this is how ultimately empires fall, whether they're sports or whether they're nations or whatever they are, they don't. Wow. I, I like that word empire. Yeah. <laughs> that made a serious. This got gravitas. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they don't address the underlying issues. They paper over it. Because they're in in-stage capitalism. If I may go back to my more serious part of it, I think that's the thing about the NFL is the way we're framing this conversation is, wow, how's Goodell going to handle that press conference on Wednesday? Who gives a shit right. how he's going to handle his press conference, right? Like, who cares? <laughs> fix the problems. Fix like, the fix problem. the things. You fix the problem, the press conference becomes cake. And sure, you have to deal with the little kid reporter who says, right. Mr. Goodell, how do your arms stay so big? Which, which is <laughs> impressive. He definitely has the strongest arms of any major uh, professional sports commissioner. Does he really? I would yeah, say, I, I mean, would, yeah, I would think yeah, so. I, I don't think Manfred is, is jacked. Adam Silver definitely is not jacked. Definitely not jacked. And Batman. Uh, But anyway, more to the point, I think that's the issue. They treat all of these things as PR problems because they just don't want to fuck up the money. And that works until it doesn't. (laughs) And uh, right now it's obviously working and maybe it'll work forever. But I don't know. It feels to me how ultimately empires fall eventually, but not now. Okay, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. Rodgers looking left, comes to his right, Jennings! Touchdown! What you just heard was superstar quarterback Aaron Rodgers leading the Green Bay Packers to victory in Super Bowl 45, 11 years ago this week. Rodgers was named MVP of the game, which so far is his only appearance in a Super Bowl in his 17-year career. But since that big victory, Rodgers, who many believe is the most talented QB in NFL history, has an underwhelming 7-9 record in the playoff and is the only quarterback to lose four conference championship games in a row. In fact, the Packers have won 13 regular season games in each of the last three years, the only team to ever do this, and Rodgers still wasn't able to come through when it mattered most. He played poorly in his recent divisional round playoff loss to the 49ers, and it's possible that Rodgers will now try to end his time in Green Bay and move on to a different team. Who knows? Maybe the Lions. (laughs) Will, Aaron Rodgers is a three-time NFL MVP and will likely win a fourth trophy this year. He's been named to 10 Pro Bowls, he holds numerous NFL records, and he might have the best arm I've ever seen. And yet, he's kind of a disappointment. What happened, Will? Well, he, he didn't get vaccinated. That's why none of this has worked out. Yeah, like that, that, that's, that's why really, he lost the four that's conference why championship games. They could see the lack of vaccine coming. No, uh, we've talked a lot about Rodgers in this podcast and generally how kind of incredible of a fall in the public consciousness he's had over the last nine months or so. And it's actually put that in firmer repose, right? We've known for a while that he's only won one Super Bowl. I think we all assumed he'd probably get one more at some point. Maybe it'd be Green yep. Bay. Maybe he goes to San Francisco, wherever he might go next year. Some people have said Tampa. I think that there's certainly some places he might be able to go. But it's funny. It doesn't feel like that question has dominated his career as much as it might have. But imagine if he had not won that one Super Bowl. Imagine if he got to that Super oh. Bowl and lost. Think about how much this dominated Dan Marino's career or most of John Elway's career. Right, these guys that went a long time and never actually made it. Him getting one, I would argue, has put a until this last year when everyone decided, oh yeah, right, Aaron Rodgers sucks as a you know medical physician. Yes, and, and listen, to be fair, that is me and my guys rounding up the woke mob. I'll keep that in mind. But you start to take a look back, and they're like, yeah, what? Hasn't he won more? Why is he always falling to San Francisco in the playoffs? How much did he miss from this? And I remember when he won that Super Bowl, the idea was, oh, well, he's going to beat Favre because Favre only got one, right? And the idea was Rodgers was better. The thing about Favre is that like he won a Super Bowl, but you know Favre could have thrown eight interceptions that game. Whereas Rodgers was focused and made good decisions and was cerebral, and he was going to be the one that could really build this big thing. And his career numbers are incredible. He's obviously a great quarterback, but... It does feel that not getting that second Super Bowl and really not getting back to another Super Bowl, it feels like it's going to be a larger part of the conversation when he retires than I think anyone could have anticipated at the time. People like to clown 
Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills for losing four Super Bowls in a row. And, you know, my retort is always, holy shit, they went to four straight Super Bowls? That's <laughs> dominance. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's the honest to God truth. That's yeah. how I see it. Give me four straight trips and losing the Super Bowl versus what I grew up with in Detroit, which is never even really winning two postseason games in a row. <laughs> right? So I brought that up because Aaron Rodgers has lost four consecutive conference championships, which is far worse than losing four straight Super Bowls. Yes. But to your point, for whatever reasons, people yeah. don't bring that up. Yeah. People don't talk about the postseason failures with Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's because they recognize he's so good. It must be everyone else's fault. <laughs> yeah. I think this is the first year yeah. where people are looking and thinking, maybe it's Aaron. And they're saying it for the first time, I think, in earnest. I think before, if people said maybe it's Aaron, it's in a, sort of like a cynical, half-joking way because we all roundly believe that he is, I think, the most talented quarterback to ever play. Yeah. Not the greatest, right. obviously not the best results, but in terms of the entire package, arm talent, legs, manipulating defenses, obviously touchdown to turnover uh, ratio, he's just incredibly talented. And so it was easy for me anyway, and I don't know how you feel about it, it was easy for me to rationalize bad play call. Yeah. The running game sucked. Couldn't find the, the right The defense coach. let him right, down. Right, 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 right. This is the first year I'm like going, it could be you. Yeah. And I don't know if I feel that way because he fucked up the whole Joe Rogan thing so bad and went MAGA on us that it's easier now just to, to focus in on him. Or is it the fact that I'm really doing a fair assessment of his career, particularly in the postseason, and going, it can't keep being everyone else. Yeah. It can't just be this person or this person or this person didn't get it done. At some point, it is you. I think that's one of the things that I really love about this story for Matt Stafford is that this is his opportunity to say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me all those years. It was them. <laughs> it was that franchise. I could have if I had better support. Aaron Rodgers, on the flip side, he's at the point where I'm going, well, maybe whatever gene clicks with Tom Brady when it gets to mm -hmm. the postseason and winning time, Maybe you don't have that gene. Maybe you're more Peyton Manning in this conversation than you are Tom Brady in this conversation. Remember, Peyton Manning mm -hmm. suffered a lot of postseason failures despite all the numbers and MVPs and obvious arm talent and et cetera, et cetera. But you look and go, there's something there that doesn't click in money time for him. And I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers and I'm wondering that. In the regular season, yeah, if there's five seconds left and you need a touchdown to win the game, I'm not betting against you. But for some reason, the postseason, you know, it's hard to argue. The proof is in the pudding. And I don't even eat pudding. <laughs> I also do not eat pudding. But uh, Who eats pudding? I feel like they eat it in England. Anyway, uh, the point is, is that I don't think there's any question. This is a totally fair conversation to have about Aaron Rodgers. I'm just not sure I was having it nine months ago. I gave him the benefit of the doubt in a way that I do not give him the benefit of the doubt now. And that's on me. That is not necessarily on Aaron Rodgers. Like, I think he's just probably just always been the jackass. So I just didn't want him to be, or I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I certainly imagine people that are of the uh, do-your-own-research crowd who <laughs> would say, well, wait a second, Will. Nine months ago, when he was smart Jeopardy guy, you right. never thought of him that way. But now that he's been a jackass and showed his toe and talked about the woke mob <laughs> and all the weird shit he's done over the last year, now you're not getting the benefit of the doubt. And I think that they are right. <laughs> I think that would be a fair <laughs> criticism of me in this discussion. So I think that's also worth keeping in mind, whoever we're talking about. Am I giving this person the benefit of the doubt more because of things that I like about them that are different than maybe what's going on in the field? Because I think we should have been having this conversation about Rodgers a year ago, and we weren't. You're exactly right. That whole conversation all summer, why won't the Packers just give Rodgers what he wants? He's awesome. Right. What's their problem? Because we were totally on his side, and then he showed his ass, really, in a lot of this stuff. And now all of a sudden we're like, now he can't do anything right. And I think it is worth keeping in mind there are inherent things that are built in to our narratives and our thought processes about athletes that are not always directly connected to what's happening on the field. Exactly. And if he is traded to a different franchise and if he replaces Brady as a Buccaneer, there's rumors about him joining the Titans. There are voices within the organization saying, no, we don't want Aaron Rodgers. I don't know who would say that, honestly, because even though I may think that he's a jackass and he 
disappointing me in a lot of ways. I also still believe he's the most talented quarterback in the league. Yeah, I'd be okay with so my quarterback, yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to win, I know I just said that, you know, something doesn't click in the postseason, well, then just run the football more. Yeah. Fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <right>. But <laughs> the simple fact is, is that he's in this really incredible, odd crossroads of his career because he probably is going to win MVP and very much deservedly so. And he is a very much desired quarterback by basically every franchise, except for maybe three that wouldn't want to try to move and get Aaron Rodgers. But he's also is the guy who is being connected more to postseason failures. And I think this conversation jumped off with, hey, he won a Super Bowl back in 2011 this week. Why hasn't he even been back to the Super Bowl? And when it's all said and done, I think unless he's able to have another trip to the Super Bowl, he's going to become more synonymous with the shortcomings than I think the successes. Because when we look back on athletes, it's about what did you do when it mattered most? And while he has a lot of fantastic highlights, when was the last time he had a highlight in the postseason that mattered most? And He's got the highlight of him showing his toe. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would be true. That would be true. Whereas Tom Brady, yeah, yeah, this is another reason why he's the goat. Yeah. You know, it's another reason why he's the goat. And Rogers is the uh, has the is the toe. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our listener questions. Which Marshall, who's not Megan, but still great, one of our producers has been compiling during the show. Marshall, what do you have for us? We have time for two questions. Okay. Okay. Peebles87 would like to know, uh, where do you think Flores' lawsuit is actually headed? Do you think it can actually change anything about the NFL? Where do you think it's actually going to land? Well, if Lovey Smith gets hired by the Texans, I think it's changed the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, hopefully that's not the extent of the change, but yes, that would be a change. That would be something different that would happen before the lawsuit. That is, exactly. so, that is so funny to think about that, the idea that like, look, he evoked actual change. Lovey Smith is coaching. I'm actually curious to see, because it feels like anytime there's a big lawsuit, the actual law part of it always happens like later. It's always a smaller print. It's hard to imagine something like this actually getting to where there are in a court of a civil court of law and their lawyers are going against one another. I think a lot of that has to do with Flores, right? I think it's primarily an altruistic thing that he's trying to do. But at a certain level, I think he's also going to need to make some money because I don't think he's going to be coaching for a while. (laughs) I think that's one of the things that's so brave about what he did with this. But I think that he's going to want some financial enumeration and I think it very much deserves it. How far they go with that, what happens... Uh, to me, I'm really curious to see the legal part. Of it. I'm not a legal expert. I'm not an expert in anything, definitely not law, but certainly I'm fascinated to see just in the legal aspect, if we keep our eye on where that process keeps going, because it is an actual lawsuit. It's not just a PR thing that he sent to television stations. It is a lawsuit. I'm curious to see what happens with it. You know, it's a fascinating question because I think it's it's multi-pronged. There's the immediate change, which has led to the Lovey Smith joke to begin with, right? Just hearing Lovey Smith's name in response to the <laughs> hearing the class action lawsuit, that does engender change, yeah. right? So there's the immediate one. And I would hold fast that I do not believe that the Miami Dolphins hire a coach of color without this lawsuit. Very similarly in the fact that I don't believe the Washington football team would have made the move to hire a black person to be his team president without all of the pressure that began stemming from the George Floyd murder Mm -hmm. and how the NFL was trying to, quote unquote, engage in the racial conversation going around the country. And people say, you know, we're sick and tired of this racist name and team logo. And you've never had this. You never had that. I don't know if those things happen without the immediate response to George Floyd. And I don't know if we are talking about Lovey Smith without the lawsuit. So there's the the immediate change. But I think the question is about long-term change. And I've written about this. I've said it repeatedly with us and other outlets. And I believe this with all my heart. If you do not see player movement on this, there would not be long-term change. There just won't be. Because it's a lot easier to wait out one person than it is to curtail an entire movement. And you can draw out a lawsuit for years, (laughs) right? 
There's no lawsuit, and then you go to the people's court, and then there's resolution all yeah, within 30 done. minutes. Thanks, like, Judy. <laughs> right. You can stretch this out right. for a long time. And we know our attention span in this culture. You know, we'll move on to other things. Lovey Smith will be a head coach, and we'll forget all about this conversation even happened. People may forget about it next week. People may forget about it next <laughs> week, depending upon how the Super Bowl unfolds, right? But we won't forget about it if the players embrace this conversation and are willing to make similar sort of sacrifices. Now, it is my understanding that as of right now, there does not appear to be a, a great wave to back Brian Flores up, which is disappointing. It's not over, but it is disappointing that we have not heard a lot of players come out and say, he's right, this is an issue, et cetera, et cetera. Without that, I don't know, Will, if we're going to see true systemic change because the real power isn't in the lawsuit or the court of law or Congress or the owners or the coaches. The real power is with the players. And just like the NCAA didn't change until the student athletes made them change, I don't think the NFL is going to change until the players and the players union rise up and say enough is enough. Marshall? There, resolve that one. All right, one more question. We're going to switch to the NBA. And Megabucks11 would love to know, do you anticipate any big moves this week prior to the NBA trade deadline on Thursday? Yeah, trade deadline this week. I feel like the trade deadline should not happen during Super Bowl week. (laughs) You want some more time? You want them to get together and collude? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, yes. To me, the big question is, does Simmons or Harden get traded? I don't think Harden is getting traded. Do you think Simmons is getting traded? I think Simmons should be traded. Yeah. I think Daryl Morey has made his point. I think that you're wasting a year of peak Joel Embiid. And what's the scenario? You think Ben Simmons is going to come back and just, like, what? Start knocking down jumpers or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, he hasn't been playing. Yeah, yeah. So, move him. Get picks if you want. Try to get a superstar back if you want. But... That franchise needs to move on. I am curious, though. Portland Trailblazers' name has been mentioned a lot as a possible trading destination for him. I am curious as to whether or not the front office of the Trailblazers or the Indiana Pacers, who just moved Karis LeVert, are in full dismantle, reboot, rebuilding mode. Because if they are, then we will see a lot of player movement and not just Ben Simmons. But if you're a franchise like my Lakers mm-hmm. and you're limited in what you can do, you need a franchise like a possibly the Pacers or the Portland Trailblazers to be willing partners as they're rebuilding to try to get valuable pieces that can help you get your season back on track and possibly play for a championship. I don't know about you, Will, but I don't know a lot of franchises with talented players who might be in full rebuild mode. Yeah. Without that, then I don't know if you're going to see a lot of teams be able to move a lot of big names. I feel like the Nets are the most interesting team right now because, I mean, they've lost, what's like eight and a seven, eight in a row right now. Right. right but they're not the, in rebuild mode. They're, they're, I know, but like at a certain level, it feels like something's, on Zach Lowe's podcast this week, they talked about the idea that like, wait, should the Nets trade Harden for Simmons just for a little long-term? <laughs> and part of the problem is that Kyrie Irving can't play home games. I don't know why. If only there were some way that that could be fixed. But like Simmons, I feel like actually it's not a, bad fit for the Nets. You know, would not need him to score. He'd be able to solve a lot of their problems. Yep. But but to blow that up now, it feels like that's actually coming more from the Harden camp in a lot of ways. But the Nets are a mess. That big experiment is imploding. And it's imploding right as the trade deadline is coming. And you have Harden, who famously is, you know, he tends to get traded a lot. I'll put it that way. So I'm curious to see if something happens out of that. But otherwise, if I mean, Simmons or Harden, to me, are the only really big things that happen. But my guess is that neither happens. I, I can see Simmons being moved. I don't know if Harden is going to be moved. But I will just say this to any team that's considering James Harden. Consider James Harden. He's really, really good, but he's also isn't the guy yeah. to build around. No. He's the guy to compliment. Because if you build around him, you're yeah. really rolling the dice. You just are. I have a hard time thinking LeBron James is so upset with the way the Lakers season is going so far, he's going to show up fat. <laughs> no. seems, you know what I mean? Seems like, I'm, I want to see fat LeBron, though. I am curious. It was something about seeing James Harden do that. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. That, that's what I was like. Yeah. 
I don't know if I want that, man. I get being mad. I get not showing up. Yeah. But showing up fat? <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just fascinated what a fat LeBron looks like. <laughs> I just want to know. Do you think he's one of those dudes that would ever let himself get no, fat? Or is he exactly. going to be more like Eric Dickerson? Because this is the thing that people always talk about athletes, right? Like our athletes will always talk about this. That like, wow, when we retire that first year, boom, we're blowing up. We don't have to right. train as much. We don't already get our food made for us all the time. I don't think LeBron will ever be like that. I definitely do not. Think it's, LeBron. it's hard. Yeah. It's hard for me to see him. You know, but you know, who knows? After twenty years of being the best player oh. in the league, maybe he just wants to like eat some bonbons, have a beer, and a it. donut. Yeah, as someone that's worked so hard myself, I appreciate. I know being able to do that. I'm surprised that Brian doesn't call you up to ask what are you doing to let my body go. And that is our show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. And, haha, busy week coming up, my friends. Make sure to watch us live on Twitch on Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time when Keyshawn Johnson, you know that guy, joins us to talk about Kenny Johnson, the first black player to sign an NFL contract. And then at 5.15 p.m. Eastern, when we break down Roger Goodell's State of the League address and the press conference that follows. So please log on to twitch.tv slash the recount, both at 12.30 p.m. Eastern and 5.15 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday for more great NFL words, content, thoughts, and visuals. And we will release another podcast on Thursday that will include all of that as well. It's Super Bowl week. We're bringing all the good stuff. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Roz Guevara, and Marshall Eisen. Our engineer is Aaliyah Jackson. Music is by Gloria Tells. Sound design is by David Wilson. And we're going to be back so soon. Literally, you will not even have time to have finished this podcast before we bring you more podcast stuff. You're welcome, America and surrounding municipalities. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.